and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. All right, Rick, we're going to be joined uh, here on Powerhouse Politics by Governor Chris Christie, of course, uh, friend of the president, former governor of New Jersey, big-time sports fan, and a friend of the podcast. Got a lot I want to talk to him about uh, in terms of what is going on in the president's mind as we deal with this North Korea situation. And we have the first significant bump in the road so there's a yeah there's a there's a detour on on the way to the nobel peace prize it it would it it would appear look the president at every step of the way john and you know this better than anyone because you've been in the middle of a lot of the the public pronouncements the president has been very eager to make this happen uh and he has been not just talking about the nobel peace prize but uh talking about this uh this one day summit a month from now as uh uh, as denuclearization, full denuclearization de- de- of the of the Korean Peninsula, he's already spiking the football. Uh, and to see now uh, the North Koreans say, "Well, wait a second, maybe maybe we won't have this summit if uh, if the if the goal, if the stated U.S. goal is to get rid of a nuclear program entirely." And we don't really like what what John Bolton is saying about what the path could 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 be here. It's hard to discern because so many of these public pronouncements um, are bluster, but it it would appear that we're nowhere near where the president has suggested that we are. Um, He's already been suggesting that that the hard work is done, and and flatly, plainly now, it has not yet begun, and it puts – a whole lot of pressure on everyone involved to, A, deliver on the meeting, and then deliver on the promise of the meeting, given the way that the president has built up expectations. And remember, this is a meeting that we are told will be one day. <clears throat> one day with the possibility of extending to a second day. So, I, you know, it's hard to see exactly how much gets done. Now, I suppose it could be, you know, if the North Koreans are simply agreeing we're going to give everything up, we could probably do that in a, you know, over lunch. Sure, yeah, that's an easy one. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 it is interesting that the way the White House going into this, what appears to be a setback and may simply be, you know, a negotiating tactic by the part of the, on the part of the, uh, of the North Koreans. But the White House has done nothing to downplay expectations. And I've covered a lot of, you know, high stakes, diplomacy, and the first thing that you always see happen is a downplaying of expectations. Right. And that's not the, that's not President Trump's... But that playbook Trump's, hasn't worked. That's not, it's so also not I President Trump's game. And that's not the, the play that he does. I, I thought it was fascinating, John, uh, on the tarmac last week when you had a chance to get a question into the president, his his response to why this is even happening. The, 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 he, 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 you asked why is Kim Jong-un releasing these prisoners going ahead with um, the, the, this summit uh, in, in Singapore. And what was his answer? Huh. I mean, he said that he thinks that Kim Jong-un wants to bring his country into the real world. The real world. Into the real world, which means he is looking at this not simply as getting an agreement with an adversary over nuclear weapons, but he is looking at this in terms of really something quite historic and transformational. And then we saw John Bolton, uh, when he wasn't talking about the Libya model, which would be quite frightening if you were um, looking at that Libya model um, in terms of what happened to uh, the Libyan leader. Um, But he was talking about trade and investment. He actually used that phrase, trade and investment in North Korea that would be open to him after a deal. Investment. American and if, investment, and if and if what, like a Harley Harley Davidson factory over there, or what I mean, <laughs> McDonald's opening up. If if the president's right about that, if that really is the play here, then uh, the, then Kim would be willing to give up 
quite a whole lot as part of this. Uh, but I think the open question in all of it, because we have so little visibility into what's really going on in the North Korean regime, is 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 that really is he coming from it uh, coming at it from a real position of weakness right now? Is he worried about losing a grip on his own uh, on his own country? We know it is incredibly impoverished. It's run a brutal uh, a brutal regime. If the people there are ready to to revolt, or his generals are ready to revolt, if he could lose a grip on power, that's a different thing than using this as a as a long term method to advance his own credibility. And I, the question I think that will linger at least through Singapore, if not beyond, is who's really playing who here? Because the president, uh, President Trump, would make it seem like um, he is he, he has already achieved great things. He brought home these three Americans, which is undeniably a, 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 a fantastic thing for them and their families. Uh, but we know that Kim's getting some of that, something out of this, too. And you see it in, in the bluster beforehand that we're not going to do it if it means we have to end our nuclear program. And I think you see it more broadly in, in what it means on the world stage. He's now traveling to China on a semi-regular basis. He's meeting with the American Secretary of State. He's going to meet with the American president. Uh, this has already been opened up that regime far more than it has before. And now if you're talking about American investments there, that's a, that's a, that's a game changer. So I have two questions, one which is answerable one which may or may not be answerable. First of all, as we've seen this uh, back and forth, ha- you know, we, we know Pompeo has made two trips. Has the president spoken to Kim Jong-un? Has he spoken to him directly? That question's been asked at the White House, and it's been asked directly of the president, and, and, he, he, w- and, no. he, and he won't comment. Yeah. But that would be a very interesting thing. And if he has, please, Lordy, let there be tapes. <laughs> um, and the second question is, what exactly is... Kim Jong-un's grip on power in North Korea. Yeah. Um, is there any dissent uh, within that regime? Are there power politics that play out within the, uh, the, 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 the leadership, military leadership? Or is he, is he iron-fisted, absolutely no questions asked, uh, in complete control of all this? And, and, and the honest answer to that is, is that we don't know. We don't know. I, I don't think U.S. intelligence really has a grip on that either. We, I think I think it's clear that we don't know the answer to that. Uh, you mentioned dissent. And, and John, I want to get your take on this because um, this isn't the first time that we've seen it, but there is quite a little war on leaks going on over at yes. the White House these days. Yeah. And it all started in the most unusual way because um, a, a story came out last week that a relatively junior communications aide in the White House made a, an awful apparent attempt at humor uh, about John McCain. Yep. Uh, and uh, it resulted in a a personal apology to Meghan McCain, John McCain's daughter, a promise of a public apology that hasn't happened. We have not heard a public apology from the White House because they have made it a story about leaks. Does this White House have a leaking problem that is different than other White Houses? And and can they really do anything about it when the president himself is such a well-known leaker? Yeah, and and he actually, uh, addressing the leaks, called the leakers traitors Traitors. in, in a tweet and said that they would be sought out. And uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders suggested that they've got a lead on on who may have been uh, the leakers here. So it'll be interesting to see if we're going to see firings. Uh, you know, um, Kellyanne Conway suggested that, that, that people could lose their jobs as a result of this. But I've got to say, uh, leaks have been – well, you know, leaks another way of saying unauthorized information sure. that, that gets out there. Every, it happens at every single White House all the time, blah, blah, blah. But – this has been a whole new category of, of leaking in this White House. First of all, there are the serious leaks, um, the classified information. That's a whole different category. That's not what this Kelly right. Sadler thing was. Um, 
the uh, you know when when the president had his conversations with the um, uh, the, the president of Australia, Prime yeah. Minister of Australia, the president of Mexico, and the transcripts of the conversations were like that. Stunning, uh, that's yeah. really intense and and yeah. uh, and problematic. Um, but you know, uh, we, we we've seen all kinds of other leaks throughout. You know, of palace intrigue. You know, clearly one senior staffer leaking on another senior staffer. I, I can only think of one person who's been fired. Do you remember who it was? No. Was yeah, it? exactly. Was uh, his name was Michael Short, um, who uh, was a very junior aide in the White House communications mm-hmm. shop. He was fired right in the middle of the Scaramucci era. Mm. And um, it was essentially Scaramucci trying to send a message that I'm in charge now. He was been a form- he was a former RNC guy. And right. he, I mean, I don't think a guy ever – I mean, who knows if he it was in a position to leak anything. But he was like the sacrificial lamb during that – that glorious uh, Scaramucci era. During that time, um, somebody explained to me Scaramucci's approach would be to, uh, I don't know if you ever got a chance to do this because it, 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 it ended, uh, the, the period ended pretty quickly, as you recall, uh, but was to, to, would be to go to a meeting with the White House communication staff to put everybody's name in a hat and to take one name out and say, okay, you're fired. Now, if there's another leak, I'm going to take another name out of the hat. Wow. <laughs> you know, very... Uh, so Moose didn't get a chance to... We never got a chance to do that. And, 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 there, and there's been no... I mean, there's a lot of, you know, complaining about leaks, but there's By not the way, been and, any and, issue. And Scaramucci left. It, it, not quite a leak, but it was certainly an unauthorized conversation that he had with a reporter. Yes, yes. That was, it was his downfall. A, so it was he, the mother of all leaks. Mother maybe. of all yeah, leaks, yeah. in a way. Um, but the president, come on, the yeah. president... I mean, you know. Well, and there's reports now, John, that, that that there are men in suits who are scouring the West Wing for <laughs> unauthorized electronic devices. Are men in f- suits. Men now, in suits. To, now, to be fair, it's a very dramatic report. <laughs> that was a very who, who did it again? It was the. It's a very dramatic it's description, a, but but report, you know yeah. what? There have been men in suits running around, running the, White around the West Wing for a long time. Like I mean, most men that are there are wearing suits. But it's kind of funny. Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary, I think, had a good point about this. Guess what? It's not unauthorized cell phones that are leaking information to reporters. It's the people that are talking into the cell phones. People will find a way to leak. They were doing it before cell phones. They will do it even if you got every one of those electronic devices. It's a culture. It's a culture that's set, I would argue, from the very top and the palace intrigue. Uh, and do you remember the, Spicer, actually? Do you remember, speaking of cell phones, remember he had that thing where he made everybody put their cell phone in a box, in a box <laughs> and then and then, and, and then go and search to see who had leaked right. X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Right. But nothing, I, nothing came of it. No, and it just it seems like another another war on leaks is probably not going to end well, but it, but it has been a, a bit of a smokescreen for the White House to not engage directly on this McCain story, which somehow or another is lasted a full... The president week. doesn't want anybody to apologize for this, does he? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine if he wanted it that it wouldn't have happened already, either from um, Kelly Sadler, who, who's, of course, it escaped her lips originally, or from the White House in, in a more formal way. There are plenty of ways for them to communicate um, directly or indirectly to John McCain their sorrow for this uh, and, uh, and their regret over it. Uh, we also learned that um, when the president came to Capitol Hill, all of those outraged Senate colleagues— Oh, my God, they'd all been out there publicly. Oh, have to do it, have terrible. to do it. The president got no questions, no questions on it whatsoever. He Not was, a single Republican senator brought it up when they had the st- president in front of him. That amazing. was something else. That's was that surprising to you? Uh, on one level, yes. I mean, I, 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 I feel like the respect for John McCain cut so strong that, that someone, and this is a group that includes some Trump critics, people like Jeff Flake, people like Bob Corker, uh, Lindsey Graham, McCain's best friend, could say, Mr. President, can you please apologize to this American hero? It didn't come up.
Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get Governor Chris Christie on the phone. Brought to you by Indeed. Used by over 3 million businesses for hiring, where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com slash hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter. I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I'm here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast called Start Here, where our experts give you on-the-ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and start here. All right, joining us now, Governor Christie. Thank you for talking to us here on Powerhouse Politics again. My pleasure. Happy to be on. So there's there's so much to talk about, but I want to get your read on what is happening with this North Korea standoff or potential standoff. Um, You know, we, we, we... have seen this incredible thaw where we've seen the president come out and 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 speak in almost glowing terms about Kim Jong Un. We saw uh, Mike Pompeo over there looking like they'd been long lost friends in, in in some of those images that came back after their second meeting. And now the North Koreans appear to be um, well. They've canceled a meeting that was going to happen today with South Korea. And what's striking to me about all this is that at least so far, the president's been quiet. Well, this is negotiation. That's what I think it is. I mean, you know, North Korea is looking to, to you know, get a little bit of leverage and a little bit of an angle going into the meetings, um, in uh, the meeting in June. And I think that's what this is all about. Um, this is the way people go back and forth in these kind of things. And sometimes it's done in private. Sometimes it's done in public. Sometimes it's both. And that's what I see it as. And I think the president is smart to keep quiet. Um, what, what Kim Jong-un probably wants is some kind of reaction from the president. And I think by the president not reacting, he's doing exactly what he should do from a strategic perspective, which is, at least in reaction to this kind of stuff, keep his cards close to his vest. It struck me watching um, on the uh, Sunday shows, the White House was obviously eager to talk about North Korea. So um, you saw Mike Pompeo go out on some of the shows, and then you saw John Bolton, the national security advisor, go out on other shows. And it seemed to me that although the overarching message has been the same from everybody, which is, you know, we want complete, irreversible, verifiable denuclearization, and that's what we expect to come out of this. That's that's our aim. We won't accept anything less. Um, the, the way Bolton was speaking, which seems to be at least the reporting that we're getting out of out of out of Korea, is that this is what has upset the the the, the North Koreans. You know, Bolton started bringing up the the, uh, the Libya model, which, as we all remember, uh, ended with um, with uh, with Gaddafi dead on the on the streets, um, and, and even talked about how you know we, you know removing the nuclear equipment uh, and taking them taking the equipment into the United States as as Libya did, which I hadn't heard as part of the kind of White House talking points. Did did Bolton kind of mess this up? Well, I listen. I think it's that. Um, you, you look at Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, and they have two very different ways of expressing themselves, and that's always been the case. Um, Bolton is a much more acerbic um, kind of guy, and, and uh, you know, probably the reason he's not Secretary of State. Um, you know, uh, 
not very diplomatic kind of language and not the kind of stuff that you would want out of a secretary of state. So I think that's why he is where he is. Um, I don't know if he messed it up. I think, you know, you can have divergent points of view in the president's foreign policy team about some of those specifics. In the end, the president's going to decide what he wants and what he doesn't want, um, what's important to him and what isn't. And that's why I think the president keeping quiet about some of this externally is a good move. And internally, I'm sure he's letting both Bolton and Pompeo know what he thought of their performances on Sunday and whatever impact it's going to have on the negotiations going forward. So you know President Trump well, and you know that he thinks that he gets in a room with someone, he can convince them of anything. And a lot of this uh, seems momentum pointed toward just getting him down at the table for just one day in Singapore with Kim Jong-un. Are you convinced, though, that he isn't the one, that President Trump isn't the one getting played here? When you look at what Kim Jong-un uh, has potential to gain on this with all of the, 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 the pre-pieces of this. He gets praised for just releasing people that shouldn't have been held in the first place. Uh, he gets legitimacy on the world stage. He gets praise from the American president. Are you convinced that Donald Trump isn't getting played? Uh, listen, everybody tries to play everybody in this business. Like, you're not really surprised about that, are you? Everybody's trying to, everybody's trying to play everybody. So, you know, Kim, but, but let's face it, both of them are going to be judged by the bottom line here. No one's going to remember the prelude. If, if Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump don't come to an agreement um, that the world thinks is productive and positive, um, then the, everything that's led up to this is going to be deemed a failure. And it's not like Kim Jong-un is going to re- retain some credibility uh, that he got from releasing people that were detained at his direction or by closing a nuclear test site if, in fact, it is not a prelude to a successful agreement. And so, in the end, they can play, any, both sides can play whatever games they want in the lead-in to this that they think is going to give them more leverage, better positioning. But in the end, the American people and probably folks all around the world are going to determine the success or failure of this enterprise by whether it produces a productive, effective agreement on North Korea's nuclear capability. Governor, I want to ask you another big story this week. Um, almost inexplicably to my mind, this is still a story almost a week into uh, the emergence of this comment behind closed doors. White House aide who makes a, a, a really off-color, off-putting joke about, about John McCain and his health. The White House has been fixated on this as a leak issue. There has been a no apology from the White House. There's been no public apology from the aide in question, Kelly Sadler. She still has a job at the White House. What in the world, in your view, is going on that, that, that there is not a, an ability here for Kelly Sadler or the White House to just say, I'm sorry? Well, I think, listen, I think ultimately it's Kelly Sadler's responsibility. Um, if, in fact, she promised Meghan McCain a public apology, if that's the truth, that she should just deliver it and get it over with. Um, and she's the one who said it. You know, President of the United States didn't say it. The vice president didn't say it. The chief of staff didn't say it. Sarah Sanders didn't say it, you know. Um, Kelly Sadler said it. Now, it's unfortunate that, you know, this White House continues to leak like it does. Um, it doesn't excuse the comment, but also, um, you know, it, it is a bigger indication of the continuing difficulties and dysfunction there is in managing this White House and its people within it. Um, who thought that that was a good idea? to leak such an inappropriate comment. But in the end, this is Kelly Sadler's to fix. The words came out of her mouth. 
there has to be accountability for the people who say things like this. And I think if she doesn't straighten this out, you know, soon, you know, she probably won't be working there much longer. So you think the accountability should be from the White House? If she makes this public commitment to, to do an apology and she doesn't apologize, she shouldn't be working at the White House? Well, listen, I think that, you know, at the end, the president's going to make the decision about this or, or one of his subordinates. But I don't want it. I don't think that the responsibility should shift from who made the statement. We wouldn't be having this conversation if Kelly Sadler had not made that really inappropriate comment about John McCain. So Kelly Sadler has to fix it, not the White House. Kelly Sadler has to. And this affects her credibility. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that one of her colleagues thought it appropriate to make this kind of inappropriate comment public. But, you know, she said it came out of her mouth, so she's got to fix it. No one else can. But honestly, I mean... The, the the president has arguably said worse about McCain, right? I mean, well, yeah, we probably have. He said but, during the campaign, but he's the president. <laughs> he's the president, yeah. and he's going to be held accountable by the voters ultimately. I can't imagine he's too eager for her to apologize. I know everybody speculates about that. You know what I think? I don't think he cares one way or the other. <laughs> it's quite possible. Hey, let me ask you a, a different, different, more more important, um, uh, potentially uh, 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 subject here. Um, that I've been, I've been just—it's just mystified me. This, this statement from the president issued over Twitter about ZTE, the uh, the Chinese electronics company, um, you know, saying uh, that that he basically wants to undo these uh, these punitive sanctions that were imposed on them for dealing with North Korea and Iran, um, and, and and the tweet, as, as as you know, said too many jobs in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done. Too many jobs in China lost. How did Donald Trump suddenly become uh, concerned about jobs in China? Did you did you understand what's going on here? Is this part of something that we don't? I don't I don't know what's going on, but I suspect that what's going on is that President Xi is being playing an integral role in what's happening with North Korea, and my guess is that the president wanted to do something to keep President Xi happy so he continues to keep the pressure on North Korea to get something done with the United States on their nuclear capability. I don't think it's... It doesn't sound to me to be a whole lot more complicated than that. I don't know that. I'm speculating, but that's what it looks like to me. Isn't it problematic telling the Commerce Department how to handle an enforcement measure? I mean, this, this was these were not sanctions in the traditional sense. These were These were... Punitive because they had violated because they, because they had dealt with North Korea and and Iran. So he's the head of the executive branch, and and as long as what he's doing is is not instructing them to do something that's either um, illegal or, or unethical, if he wants to have a change in policy, um, he's the president. He can order a change in policy, but in the end, you know, there's all kinds of levers that have to be pushed and pulled. Um, in when you're working on a high-level diplomatic matter like he's working on North Korea. And there's no question in anybody's mind that China is a big part in trying to get North Korean cooperation and ultimately, um, you know, North uh, an agreement with North Korea. So um, I don't know that this is true, John, but I would tell you that I think that it makes a lot of sense to me that he's trying to give something here to President Xi so the presidency will continue to put pressure on North Korea. 
Governor Christie, when we've had you on before and you've been on ABC shows, you've been you've been pretty firm in your opinion that President Trump should not sit down with Robert Mueller, the special counsel. We now see uh, the transcripts that the Senate Judiciary Committee has released, um, a lot more information about uh, uh, about the machinations, uh, including uh, the Trump Tower meeting and the efforts to, to spin that after the fact. We're also coming up on the year anniversary of, uh, of Mueller's appointment as a, as a special counsel. We're hearing from Rudy Giuliani, the president's new attorney. They're ready to play some hardball. Uh, what, why not at this point? If you want to hasten the end to this thing, just say, okay, let's just strike the deal. Let's find something, some kind of accommodation. Has anything in your view changed about whether the president should spend time with Robert Mueller's team? No. No, for, for two reasons. First, Robert, there's been nothing that I'm aware of that's been reported publicly that would give rise to the idea that the president himself is even suspected of any type of criminality. So why, in fact, should the president sit there and give an interview? Why should he? And why should Bob Mueller be entitled to an interview with the president? He's the president of the United States. Uh, he's not above the law, but he got a pretty high standard to get the president in the room with a group of people uh, asking him open-ended questions. And secondly, as I've said before, any smart lawyer would tell you that as long as this investigation is going on, um, you would attempt to avoid having your client in the room with the prosecutors when they have free reign to ask whatever they want. Um, it's just a smart way to lawyer this. Um, and that's why I disagreed in large measure with the strategy of his previous legal team. And I said that publicly as well. So, um, you know, I, I haven't changed my opinion at all. If uh, if I were his lawyer, um, I would be telling him, um, you'll, you're not going in that room. It's not, that makes sense. And I don't think Bob Mueller will subpoena him. Do you think he'd have to comply with the subpoena? Do you, do you have an opinion on this? I know it's an, it's an open legal question. I think there's an argument. I think there's an argument. I don't know which way it would go, but I think there's certainly an argument to be made that he would not have to. Um, and I And I don't. I don't know that it's in anybody's interest to go down that road. I mean, Bob Mueller's got the ability through a lot of different investigative devices, all of which I'm familiar with from my time as seven years as U.S. attorney, um, to get information that he doesn't have to get from the president of the United States that he can get through other means. That should all be exhausted before there's any conversation about any type of discussion with the president of the United States, in my view. All right, before you go, one last question on, uh, you know, fr- from your perspective as a uh, as a former U.S. attorney, as a former prosecutor, what what do you, th- what's your read what, uh, of what Mueller does? I'm not talking in terms of the substance, but in terms of the process. Because you, you've, you've faced politically sensitive cases in your yep. time as a prosecutor, but we are, we're, 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 we're coming into the same kind of dilemma that faced Jim Comey when he was uh, when he was handling the Clinton email investigation. In terms of, you have information. There undoubtedly Robert Mueller right now has information that is relevant to voters in the midterms, whether it is exculpatory or it is incriminating. He has information that voters that, that, that has the potential to influence the way people vote in the midterms. He. We we don't know if he's ready to uh, you know to pull the trigger on either a final report or final round of indictments, but how how do you think Mueller is looking at that calendar? How do you think he is gauging what he is going to do in terms of the timing? Does he does he feel pressured to get a final report out before 
uh, before we, we, we approach the fall campaign? Does he feel pressure to wrap things up? Does he, if he does do a final report, do you think he, he's got, he's got these prosecutions that he's already doing, these indictments he's already done. Does he hand those off to U.S. attorneys? What do you think happens to the Mueller investigation? Uh, well, first off, I'm confident that unlike Jim Comey, he'll actually follow the rules the Justice Department sets out for all of its U.S. attorneys and its prosecuting lawyers, which is um, no actions to be taken um, within 60 days of, of a general election. Um, and so, you know, to me, um, that's the first thing I'm confident that Bob Mueller will not make the same self-righteous, self-interested mistakes um, that Jim Comey made. Um, secondly, I think what that tells you is he's essentially got three and a half months um, to get done whatever he needs to get done if he wants to do it before the deadline for going dark for the election. I have always thought that what would happen would be he'd work vigorously over the summer and then come September 1st, he would hit the pause button on anything that could get public until after the election, and then he would come back to his work after the election. So, I mean, could he finish uh, before uh, September 1? He could, um, but my sense has always been that this is much closer uh, to a two-year investigation than a one-year investigation. Before we let you go, Governor, Monmouth Park, Memorial Day, you've made the commitment that you'll be there among the sports gamblers when it opens after winning that Supreme Court case. Where does your money go? This is a, you're not, you haven't answered the question so far this week. Have you decided where that first bet goes? No, I haven't. Mets, but, Mets in the World Series. Come on. Guess, are you, you going to put your, come on. No, but my guess is that I'll probably do something current. You know, like I might do the NBA Finals. I might do the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, it depends on who's in the Finals and how I feel about the games. So my guess is that I do NBA Finals or Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and, you know, leave the baseball betting till later on. Baseball betting is a sucker's bet, too. It is a sucker's bet. Game by game, especially, yeah. especially if you're a Mets yeah, fan. Like, you don't bet games, yeah. right? You don't bet yeah. games. But, like, I bet, you know, I bet in um, uh, earlier in the year before the season started on, you know, the Mets winning the National League pennant and the Mets winning the World Series. So, um, you know, I, that's always just a, a hopeful, optimistic bet for a Mets fan. So I already got that bet laid down. That'll hey, you know, for, for, for a few weeks, that looked like a pretty good bet, actually. The, the, <laughs> the Mets, as, as Rick was saying before, look like uh, have been this season, we're only in May, and they've been for a time the best and the worst. Yeah, let me just I say, mean, it's... the one thing I'm confident of is that they don't give out the World Series trophy in May. <laughs> Ooh, no doubt. So there you go. I'm not worried about it yet. I, I think there's a lot more baseball to be played. So, um, I listen, I'm a Mets fan. By definition, that means I live in hope. Right, right. Uh, that's it. That's all I got is hope. I don't have any other evidence. I don't have any evidence that things are going to get better. I just have hope. All right. Governor Christie, thank you for joining us in Powers Politics. We'll talk to you again soon. Fellas, always good talking to you. So, so, Rick, that is going to be a fascinating question. Now, he put the, you know, what Mueller does. Yeah. Not, not whether the Mets have any chance. They don't. But, uh, you know, when when is the uh, what is the window for What's Mueller? The he, he, yeah. he put it at sixty days. It's know. not it's not quite a, a, a guideline. It's a it's a norm. It's a it's something yeah. that's practiced in the past. And you remember Ken Starr dropped the the Starr report up on Capitol Hill in September. I think it was. I think we got to go back and you know right. Or, or, it was, or, 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 was not very long. Before it was it was it was basically the beginning of September. And, and Comey in his book pushes back on the idea that there's some kind of hard and fast rule that he violated. Certainly, it's the past practice, but circumstances emerged in the in the last time. But does Mueller do some kind of an interim report if his work isn't done and wrap that up by August and then, as as Governor Christie suggests, resume things afterward. That's weird. Uh, it also, I mean, and the it, report goes to Rosenstein. Don't forget. 
Right. It doesn't go to Congress. That's it, right. He's although, not an independent counsel. Although it's hard to imagine it not getting out in some way because members of Congress are cut into the to the process. But 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 regardless, do you it, think it, Nunes would want to see it? Yeah, Nunes may have some interest in it. Do, do, do you think Nunes would pressure uh, the, the public release of that report or, or maybe Adam Schiff? That's more Schiff's territory. I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure. So, but it, it is interesting because you can't pretend like this isn't going to be political. I mean, both sides want it to be political. As a matter of fact, it, they they there's there's an incentive if you're. Or a, a Trump loyalist or a Trump enemy in, in both sides to see this out there in a big way and, and litigate the midterms based in part on what Robert Mueller has or doesn't have. So I, I always I think it's phony to think it's not part of politics. Everything's part of politics. Now, would you would you put it out there the weekend before the election if you could if you could control the timeline? No, but there's nothing that tells Mueller he needs to put out a status report. Uh, just because there is a a artificial norm of a of a deadline before Labor Day, that's not how the game works. Okay, so prediction from you: We heard from Christie that there will be a pause, and this will be a, essentially a two year investigation that will resume after the election. Do you think Mueller is done? And I'm, I'm not referring to the to the court cases, the Manafort right. and all that that are that, that are already out there, because those can be handed off to a U.S. attorney. Uh, do you think that Mueller is 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 done with this probe before the election, or it continues after the election? I, I I think there will be pieces of this that Mueller is still involved in after the election. Uh, it, it, some of it depends on the no. The well, big thing though is the big thing done. <clears throat> the investigation effectively of the president is it done? I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with no in part based on the 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 current stance of the Trump legal team to take a more adversarial approach with the special counsel. And and if Mueller doesn't get some kind of a cooperative agreement to sit down, it's hard to see how you can bring that in. Keep in mind also, we're still really waiting on uh, on whether the, the Trump children become a part of this bigger. Look, we, we don't know. I mean, this is all just speculation, but it, it doesn't – there's no signal that I'm seeing or no no pieces that we're picking up that says that he's close to being done. We know he still has to – get something from the president and we are less than six months now from the election all right you're wrong it will be done before the election so uh mark it down mark it down <laughs> who, who knows i mean honestly you know all right that is all the time we have for powerhouse politics our thanks to the powerhouse politics team trevor hastings avery miller angie Ack, and uh rick klein as well we'll talk to you again soon